Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 163. Today in the show, Dan and I are diving into an in-depth discussion of our goals, our hopes, and our hit lists for the 2017 hunting season. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. And today we had a great guest lined up for our episode, um, but something came up. He was not able to join us, so you are stuck with just me and Dan. <laughs> <laughs> and viewership goes straight wah, down to <laughs> <laughs> No, it's going to be good though, Dan, I promise, because if anybody can sit and BS, it's you and me, I think. If, if, wow, if there's anyone I know, I think we can pull it off. Um, but it kind of works out well because just before we started to record, um, the original planned episode, I was thinking, man, I want to get one of our, you know, in the past years, we've always done an episode that I've kind of titled goals, hopes, and hit lists where like just before the season, we talk all about our, all those three things, <laughs> the hit list, the goals, right. the hopes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so this could be a good opportunity to do that. We could dive into detail on all of our thoughts of the upcoming season, specific goals, um, talk more about some of the deer we're after, um, some of our plans and stuff. And I don't know, kids. I mean, you like to talk about your kids. We could talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Poor people to death. Does that I sound mean, good? <laughs> we're, I'm down. You know me, man. I'm down for absolutely whatever. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> you said that a lot in college, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, that's why that's that's why I'm in the position that I'm in sometimes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so um so I have some interesting news to share. Um can I tell you some <sighs> you news? Son of a man, I you, I know I already know what it is because you already told me. Yeah. So you're gonna tell the wired to hunt nation, right? But yeah. there's a little part of me that hates you for what you're about to say. Don't don't hate me, Dan. Don't. <laughs> well, I don't hate you. I don't hate you. But it, I'll tell you what, it is awesome. Um, thank you. I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Um, and if it helps at all, I kind of hate you every time you show trail camera pictures of Bucksnow, <laughs> Iowa. So this is like we're evening out a little it's bit. A mutual maybe. hate. Yeah, mutual hate. <laughs> so so what you already know and what I'll share with everybody else is um, my hunting plans for this September have gotten changed a little bit. Um, so like we've talked about in the past, I was planning on going to Montana. Well, I'm in Montana right now, but I was planning on hunting here for antelope and whitetail the first week of September, and then going to North Dakota and hunting whitetails the second week of September. Well, I got an email uh, last week with an invitation for a different plan for the first week of September. Um, So I am going to be going on an Alaskan caribou hunt with Steve Ranella. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna go gonna go to the Great White North to Alaska. Uh, we're gonna chase some caribou. Uh, we're gonna be out in uh, kind of central, the kind of around the Alaska range, and um, it's gonna be a heck of an adventure. I'm now pumped. the Alaska range, the the Alaska range is way up there, right? So that's the the Brooks Range is the far northern range. The Alaska okay. range is is more along the southern, not far southeast, but kind of 
the southern uh, interior. I'm not I'm not exactly sure of, of where we're going yet, but somewhere in that central south type of region. Um, it's Alaska. That's all I know. <laughs> so, so here's what yeah. happened. He, what do you do? Call you up and go, Mark, do you want to go to, uh, yes. Yeah, basically. So before you could even <laughs> say Alaska, you're like, yep. Yeah. You need <laughs> say no, say no more. I'm in. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm stoked. Like, that's so cool. I, I, you know, like we talked about earlier this year, I was already, I was thinking about trying to do a caribou hunt. Um, me and my buddy Andy were thinking about trying to go this fall and then like the, the logistics just got really difficult and I didn't think I could pull it off this year. So I bailed on that and, and then decided to do the whitetail trip out West. Uh, then this kind of just dropped out of nowhere, which is perfect. Um, I'll, uh, I'll get to learn from the best and then maybe future years I'll be able to plan my own trip. But, uh, this is going to be a really awesome introduction to Alaska and, you know, Steve and Giannis and all the guys over there are great. So it'll be fun too, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, caribou with a bow, uh, is definitely on my bucket list for sure. Yeah. It's, well, I can't remember. If, I think you were on the episode. Maybe you had to leave early, but were you on our episode with Giannis Patelis last year? You were. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But I, th- I think you had to leave at the very end. Cause the very end I asked him, I was like, Hey, I want to do my first Alaska trip next year. What would you recommend? And his recommendation of like, any like if you want the ultimate Alaskan experience again you can only pick one thing the probably the best of it all would be trying to do a caribou hunt because you you get to see so much terrain you get to see so many animals it's like a very true Alaska experience so it just it worked out kind of cool that uh, (laughs) I got the invite to do just that so it's gonna make my whitetail it's gonna make my whitetail trip uh, a little bit more of a challenge now because I'm gonna basically the first week first like eight nine days of my trip that i have kind of bucketed out to be out west is now going to be caribou so i'm going to be left with like seven or eight days to try to fill a montana antelope tag which which i did draw finally um so a montana antelope tag a montana whitetail tag and a north dakota whitetail tag all in like seven days <laughs> right right so i don't know how that's i tell you that's a good problem to have man yeah i i can't complain um because hopefully I'll have a filled caribou tag already in my pocket and in my freezer. So I can't, can you, yeah. I, I, my wife's mad at me though. She's like, I don't know what the heck you're going to do with a caribou mountain or house. Our house is big enough for that. You have to build a barn to put all this stuff in. Um, <laughs> so again, like you said, a good problem to have. <laughs> well, I tell you what, unless it's an absolute giant caribou that you, that you harvest, um, you could just do a, a skull mount well, that's what, next that's, to your elk next to my elk that's what i'm like debating is like okay do i do do i get a shoulder mount because a caribou is like i mean i don't know how many times i'm ever going to get to hunt a caribou again um this could be a once in a lifetime thing i don't know and they're such a beautiful animal so it's like do i get it done right um or you know but that does then add this whole that makes a good point but more challenge right because now we got to get it caped in the field we got to bring that all back and i don't know i think the logistics of you know bringing all that kind of stuff back to the state or back to the 48 uh, I don't know there's just a lot of logistics with trying to get all that stuff from Alaska back to Montana from Montana back to Michigan um, yeah so I don't know I got a lot I think I got, some like, of those still yeah I think some of those logistical problems are one of those and uh, we'll cross it when we get there type of deals I mean yeah obviously on a trip like that you got to plan at some point but I think uh, I think you know hey we shoot it. All right. What do you want to do? Yeah. Uh, I want to, I want to, I want to cape it out and keep it. Okay. Um, 
the drive, you know, take it back into town, give it to a taxidermist. He'll do the work and then ship it to you for an ungodly amount. Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be some some high costs with getting all that stuff back. But like you said, again, that's a good problem to have, right? Because if I'm dealing with that problem, it means I just shot a caribou, which, uh, (laughs) man, I just like, I'm, I'm kind of like, I just, you watch these like discovery channel specials or something of like just these herds of hundreds or thousands of caribou going across the tundra. Like I've been like every, like the other day I went on a hike. Um, I did a, a day hike just by myself. Um, and it was, it was definitely the hardest day hike I've ever done. But I kind of wanted to see, like, could I do it? Like, could I? It was one of those things. Like, it was like a mental toughness challenge. I was like, okay, there's this hike. I wanted to summit this uh, mountain called Static Peak. It'd be a 17 oh, yeah. mile trip, 17 miles round trip in one day, and pushing 6,000 feet of elevation gain. And usually, like a 2,000 foot elevation gain, eight or nine mile hike is like a serious hike. Um, and I'm gonna try to, like double that. So I was like, this is gonna be really tough. But I want to see if I can do it. So the whole time I was doing it, all I thought about was this caribou hunt and just like thinking about, um, just thinking about thousands of caribou coming over a hill and like, I just got to keep going, just got to keep going, just got to keep going. Cause I got to be ready for that trip. Um, right. so it's, it's been on my mind a lot. I can't stop thinking about just, I don't know what it's going to be like or flying, you know, coming in a bush plane, drive flying in and just looking over this wide expanse. I mean, I don't know. Like, every time I'm out west, I always sit and I think about, man, how awesome would it have been out here 200 years ago, you know, when it was still untouched and wild. But up in Alaska, it's kind of like Montana was 150 years ago, you know? There's still massive areas just completely untouched. So that's going to be sweet to see. I'm stoked. Man, I'm I'm literally visualizing it in my head right now. Like, it's going to be a movie. Plus, you're going to be with Steve Rinella. So he's going to document that for his show, I have a feeling, and it's going to be, you're going to have it forever. Yeah, I, I don't know what all the details are of everything yet, but uh, one way or another, it's going to be, yeah, you're right, it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to try to document it as much as I can myself and get lots of good photos and um, write in a journal so I can, like you said, just I want to remember it all. You know, Hopefully it's something yeah. I can do again and again, but you just never know. I mean, this is a big, big kind of trip, so... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, man, I'm so jacked for you. Thanks, dude. I'm pumped. And we're going to have some good stories to talk about here on the podcast, too. So so that's uh, the first week of September. And then that second week, then, I'll be doing the whirlwind tour of North Dakota and Montana. And uh, we'll have to do a podcast that week um, while I'm out there hunting. And we'll talk about how Alaska went and how my trips are going. And hopefully I'll have a few stories. Absolutely, man. That's my latest. So before we go any further, we need to take a quick break for a word from our partners at Sitka Gear. and Take a listen to our Sitka story today. So here's producer Spencer Newharth. For this week's Sitka story, we're joined by Sitka ambassador Nick Kramer, who tells us about a thrilling archery brown bear hunt. Uh, a few years back, I headed up to Alaska for an archery brown bear hunt. It was actually my third try to get one. I had some bad luck in the past, and... Um, on this hunt, we were hunting late July, um, early August, if I remember right, and trying to catch the bears on the salmon as they were cruising up and down trying to trying to fish. Um, so we, we'd basically take positions along the streams and uh, kind of wait for them to come by an ambush-style approach. Um, one evening, I'm sitting there, and we were, I was just kind of sitting outside where we had camped. And I'm sitting in a little chair along the river, uh, reading a book. Sun's hitting me pretty hard. I'm kind of dozing in out kind of thing and i hear a small snap and kind of look up and there's a 
cub brown bear about five feet away from me and just everything in me just all my senses all at once told me to get up and head back to camp so i started hauling hauling the mail back to camp and got there screaming bear 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 and guide and buddies that i'm hunting with or hollering at the bear and i didn't quite know it but that sow was pretty much on my tail all the way back um so that was kind of the more exciting part of the hunt at that point but that same evening set up in the exact same spot for some reason um sitting there my buddy is guiding me and uh just waiting for bears and out of nowhere this brown bear comes out of the brush along the stream and i'd seen a lot of brown bears over the last three years and this was bigger and looked different than anything i had seen in the past and he's just trudging along the beach and end up drawing back 31 yards put a good shot he took off down the beach made a big roar lost sight of him guy braun turns around looks at me and says dead bear and after three years and so many trips up there and sitting in the pouring rain in my storm front finally had my brown bear and it was about the best feeling in the world on nick's hunt which took place in alaska he was wearing sitka's Stormfront rain gear if you'd like to create a sitka story of your own or to learn more about sitka's technical hunting apparel visit sitkagear.com do you have any cool beans good news on par with that, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to, <laughs> no, like, I follow that, uh, that you're gonna go on a Alaskan hunt with, uh, that's like the opener for a rock band, just really crushing it, and then the, <laughs> then the, uh, then the, the main card has to follow that, and uh, God, who was it? Who was it? Uh, this was like in the late '60s or '70s. Jimi Hendrix opened for somebody, and then after Jimi Hendrix. Pl- Jimi Hendrix played the other band didn't want to go out because they knew they could not they could not do better than what he did right. so they just they they just said screw it we're not going to perform and we're never going to play with Jimmy again well, well don't hang up on the podcast okay <laughs> <laughs> no dude but uh but yeah I mean that's awesome but you got some big whitetail stuff ahead of you Iowa man you're going to kill big one this yeah. year I think the, the, like our, our episode today is about hopes hit lists goals all that kind of stuff i mean you're in your wildest dreams this year dan um what would be your wildest dream coming true in your iowa whitetail season if you could like paint the perfect picture i'm curious to hear what that would be for the 2017 season right so (laughs) well i have to throw in some um throw in some details that you know often would you know, often I wouldn't, uh, throw in, but because I do have a kid coming September, uh, 28th, um, or somewhere probably before that, I'm going to say that my wild, like my wildest dream, if I could wish the perfect season right now, it would be that I kill a 200 inch buck the very first set of the year. But (laughs) you know, that's not, that obviously that's not going to happen. Hold on. Would that really be the best situation? Like, I feel like that'd be a little bit, I mean, yeah, that'd be awesome. Okay, let me let me let me rewind a bit. Which okay. would you rather do? Because if that happened, your hunting season's done on day one. Would yep. you rather do that? Would you rather kill a two hundred incher on day one, but only hunt one day the whole season in Iowa, or would you rather kill a two hundred inch buck on like the last day of your rut vacation? So you got in all this hunt, you grinded it out, but then you got the ultimate reward at the end. Which would yeah. you? Which would you prefer? In the like in the long run, looking back, yeah, I mean, if we're gonna make a movie out of it, obviously <laughs> the the grind, the grind is what we all come to love, and uh, and you know, and then kill them on the back end. But 
you know, I got a very impatient wife at home too. <laughs> so I have to make sure yeah. that I, I cover all the bases, you know, I got three kids, so I'm going to have to make sure that the, uh, you know, that the, all the bases are covered, maybe have some daycare provided. Um, because if you think for one second that my wife is going to let me go away and she's going to take care of an infant and two basically assholes for, (laughs) for two or three weeks, you're, you're, you're out of your mind and I'd be out of my mind too. So I have to play the cards extremely tight, very conservative and, uh, if I want to maximize my hunting this year, it's going to have to be with some assistance from somebody else, whether that's my, my dad's retired or if it's, uh, you know, having to hire a babysitter and come in in the evenings to help take care of some stuff. But, uh, and at the same time, you know, I don't want to be, I mean, I want to, I want to hunt as much as possible and I'm going to have to hunt closer to home this year, but I also don't want to be a dick. Right. And have my my passion cause uh, uh, sadness or unhappiness for somebody else if that makes sense oh, so for sure yeah we'll see it's gonna be a play it by ear thing because you know just like every year it starts off fine and dandy and then you get the text when are you coming home and then from there it's all downhill dude I know I hate that too it's like yeah <laughs> my situation is a little different, but still like last times, like we talk about this stuff all ahead of time and like, are you okay with this plan? She says, yes. I'm like, are you okay with this plan? She says, yep, yep. It's all good. It's all good. I take off. And then like three days in, she's like, I'm getting like, when are you coming home? Why aren't you back yet? That kind of stuff. And exactly what you said, you just like, my stomach just sinks. I'm like, oh gosh. And like, I just, I get like that uncomfortable feeling. I'm not like the person that is okay with like knowing that she's pissed back home at me and like I'm yeah. like, I'm not the type who can just be like I don't care I'm gonna do my thing like it just like gnaws at me so like yeah. two years ago when I was hunting in Iowa that kind of situation happened where like I had this plan to be out I was gonna hunt for two weeks Iowa and Ohio and I thought she was fine with it but then like four days into the Iowa trip or something and I'd been hunting beforehand and stuff too like I could see that I'd like pissed her off somehow and I could just like tell like I'd, I'd be coming home to something kind of gnarly in two weeks if I stayed yeah. out there the whole time so I like yeah. bailed I bailed and I went home for like a day and a half I drove home from Iowa right. went all the way home and like kind of kind of surprised her and she's like you're stupid you shouldn't have come back I didn't really need you back here like why'd you do that but I think it was a good thing um I think it helped because then it was it was better after that but I know right. that feeling right and you know right it's good I think it's been really good for me and for other people to hear about your experiences and like your challenges sometimes trying to balance all this because it's a reality for all of us or most of us at some point right like unless you're single and have no other obligations you know balancing this passion is is one of the the most important things we we have to walk that line and figure out a way to make it work for all parties but it's not it's not easy right and that's the thing man like the rut is the rut right and shit can go down at any time of during the rut i mean at a noon at 75 degrees i've had encounters with 170 inch deer right so so i just have to make sure that i am playing every hunt 
as efficient and as optimal as humanly possible. So if the weather's really hot, and that's why, like, looking on a calendar, I probably won't even see a tree stand. If I had to guess, I probably won't even see a tree stand this year until November, I think it's third or fifth, somewhere in between there. So I do, yeah, well, and that pains me. You know, yeah, but can't you, you get a babysitter for a couple times, like in October? Yeah, but I mean, still, I'm not there, right? I mean, dad and the husband are not there, and as much as I want to be out there, have you? I mean, have you ever thought about that? How selfish bow hunting or hunting in general is if you're not doing it with the person. So like. My wife will never be a hardcore bow hunter like me, so I'm not going to be able to share that with her. She, she can come shed hunting with me. She can come turkey hunting with me. Um, but if I said, all right, sweetie, um, huge cold front coming through. It's going to be 30 degrees in the stand. We're going to sit there all day. Uh, she would say, no, that will not happen. And and so there's a portion of this this passion that we have that is is really selfish and we are putting everybody else on a back burner while this one time a year comes around and we kind of drop everything to go do what what our passion is now my wife understands that i have this passion but even understanding can turn to stress over a period of time especially when you have a variety you know like a variety of things causing the stress like a crying baby or a you know or your your son dumped eggs all over the floor or your you know your daughter spilled fingernail polish all over the carpet you know those are easily triggers that stress and as that stress starts to build when daddy you know they're literally a single parent and I can understand that stress but um, that's why I'm trying to get as much help as possible by maybe getting a babysitter so that's good, but you know, it, it's kind of, it's kind of selfish. No, I hear you. It's uh you're right. I mean, it takes any, but I mean, we all, everyone's got their thing. Everyone's got something right. that, you know, but you're, right. you got to balance it and you got to keep everyone, all parties in mind. And I know, yep, uh, I know that's a unique challenge. Just bums me out to hear that you're not going to hunt for the first five <laughs> weeks of the season, but you got, you know, you got, you know, you got to, you got to reap the, uh, you got what's the word? You got to sleep in the bed that you made, Dan, when you when yep. you didn't when you didn't tie things up after two kids. <laughs> well, I tell you what, sleeping in the bed I made is the reason why I got. Yeah. Kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well. <laughs> so, okay. So, if your dream scenario is killing a 200-inch buck on the first day of your season, then you're saying you're hoping that you would kill a 200 on like November 4th or 5th. That, um, yeah, I mean that's the that's the goal. Well, uh, is that the goal? Like, okay, I mean, well, that's, well, that's not your, the that's goal. I mean, that's not the goal. But that's the that's the that's the daydream we all yeah, think about. Yeah, that's the right? daydream. Okay, so so let me give you my daydream, and then let's talk reality. How about that? Right. Okay, so so my daydream for my season would be to fill every one of my tags. Um, right. So the caribou tag, and then in somehow in seven days, kill an antelope, a Montana whitetail, drive to North Dakota, kill a mature North Dakota whitetail, um, get home, take 
a week and a half off or two weeks off, and then October 1st, kill Holyfield on opening night of Michigan season, and then have a second Michigan tag <laughs> I can fill on public land or my northern Michigan property with my family up there. Right. And I just, with one of those, I like to kill a three year old. Holyfield, I think, is five. So that'd be a three year old and a five year old in Michigan. And then I'd have an Ohio tag, and in Ohio, I'd like to kill a four year old. If I could do that, that would be Ohio, two in Michigan, North Dakota, Montana, Alaska, Antelope. That'd be seven tags. That's my that's my daydream, just to fill seven <laughs> tags by mid November. Does your uh, does your daydream also include going to uh, Home Depot to buy a, an additional freezer for all the meat you're going to have? <laughs> yeah, seriously, I that's that's a very legitimate question. I. I know I'm not going to fill in nearly any of those, so I don't think it's going to be a problem I'll have. <laughs> but, again, right. that would be a good problem to have. Um, Absolutely. I don't know. In Montana, I, I do, like we talked earlier this year, like I want to hold out for like a really good deer in Montana this year. I might change that a little bit just because I'm trying to pack stuff in. I might like stick with like a representative mature buck, still a mature buck in both those states. Um, but, but Yeah that's it's going to be a little bit chaotic kind of crazy um but that's my that's my daydream so that's my crazy dream i've got one other crazy dream that we've never talked about on the podcast before and this is just for fun like as you you and i both like you know we we talk about scores of bucks sometimes but it's not what it's all about for us of course that's just kind of a fun thing to look at deer and see what they score and kind of talk about them um but you know my buddy Corey, um one of my really good buddies here in michigan that i hunt with a lot he killed his first Boone and Crockett buck. He killed a 170 when he was 30 years old um, in Iowa. This was a few years ago. And when he killed that buck, we always kind of have like a kind of a friendly competition between each other. I said, all right, then I have to kill a Booner by the time I'm 30. So that was like four years ago. I have not killed a Booner yet. So this is my last year in order to meet that bet. I have to kill a Booner this year, my 30th year season. If I don't, Corey wins. So that is my other dream oh, is to try to kill 170 this year so that Corey doesn't have bragging rights over me. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of funny you say that because on my 30th birthday is the day that I hit shipwreck and never found him. Wow. Um, yeah. So that that's kind of – it's just – I I don't know. That was kind of crazy. That is. 30 is like the year that big things happen, I guess. Can you believe I'm going to be 30? I'm going to be old, Dan. Yeah, I'm gonna be buddy, really yeah, old. You're gonna, you're gonna be old, all right. You're gonna be old. What's it feel like? Do your, do your knees start hurting immediately upon that day? Oh shit, dude! My, my <laughs> knees have been hurting since I was 25. Oh man, I had, uh, I've had two knee surgeries: one from football and one from playing rugby. And then like I broke my jaw, so like I'm, I'm withered. Yeah, you're, you're broken parts. All right, that's why I got to get out and do my, my western hunts here pretty soon before like unless i'm gonna start taking sky lifts to the top of the mountain i'll, I'll wheel you around in like a push cart or something on, <laughs> on our next elk trip <laughs> come on dan just a little further <laughs> oh man okay um do you what do you think about that uh my my booner by 30 do you think i can pull it off no nope. <laughs> Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> well, statistics are against you, right? I mean, yes. I know that there's booners in Montana. There's booners in uh, North Dakota. There's booners in Michigan. But statistically, statistics are against you. But as we all know, 
statistics don't mean shit in the rut. So a hot doe could bring anything by at any time. Yeah. And and, and I want well in Michigan. Yeah, in Michigan, it probably not going to happen in Michigan. I think I think my best chance is Ohio. Ohio is a spot where it could happen. Oh, that's right, Ohio. Um because yeah. I've had I've had a booner on camera down there every year but our first year, I think. Um so that there's a legitimate chance there. So yeah. And again, this it doesn't really matter. I don't really care about score, but it's just kind of a fun challenge to throw out there oh, yeah. myself. Everybody talks about it. Yeah. Everybody talks about it. Um, so I might, since I've got, since I'm, I'm very fortunate, right, to have all these different opportunities this year. And I'm just like kind of pinching myself right. and knocking on wood. And it's it's crazy. I'm very thankful for this opportunity this year to go do a bunch of stuff. Um, so I might, though, be a little more picky in Ohio than usual just because I can, because I've got yeah. a bunch of other hunts scheduled. So I'm going to try to kill a mature buck in Michigan, Montana, North Dakota. Um, and then Ohio, I don't need to rush it. Um, I can just, you know, I can kind of play it out. If there if there seems to be like a really great buck there, maybe this is the year that I'm particularly picky in Ohio. Um, you know, last year I killed the first mature buck, that relatively mature buck that I got eyes on because it had been tough and I wanted to fill that tag. This year I think I'm going to be... I'm gonna wait it out and see. Um, who knows? Maybe Smart I can. Move. Maybe I can make Corey uh, eat his eat his words and, and have to have me match him. So I don't know. It. Uh, I think that that's a good that's a good move to hold out because you're already going to be doing a lot of hunting, yeah. right? Yeah. There's a chance you. I mean, there, there's a chance you get your your buck in Montana. There's a chance you get your buck in. Uh, is it now? Is North Dakota going to be kind of like a spot and stock type deal? Or is that going to be tree stand, river bottom type stuff? It'll be river bottom stuff too. Yep. I think they're, they're yeah. sim- very similar type situations. There's a couple different rivers with cottonwoods down the bottom and willow bushes and stuff like that. And um, kind of the same type of thing I hunted last year. So you might right. you could get down and move around a little bit, but it'll, it'll probably mostly be trees. But lots of glassing, probably going up on hills and scouting and glassing and then identifying where they're moving through and then sneaking in, hanging and hunting. So. Makes uh makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that's my dream. Um what about real now reality? Yeah, let's talk reality. Real talk. Um what do you really think well what's what let's talk goals. Like, okay, to to have your two thousand seventeen season, you know, and we, we talk about this every once in a while throughout the year leading up to now, so I know we've probably touched on some of the stuff, but like where yeah. we're at now is just before the season. Um what's a successful 2017 season look like for you and what are like your handful of goals you'd like to achieve whether it be specific right. like killing a buck or like i don't know if there's any more int- intangible stuff that you want to achieve too yeah well i mean my goal is to the days that i am hunting uh and i do get away to my main farm are going to be they, they have to be all day sits right i mean they just have to be um then once I once I start maximizing my time in the timber in in the the good rut locations, you know, and and I'm gonna do what I always do. I'm gonna play the trail camera game. I'm gonna check you know check those on a uh, on a rotation, and then I'm gonna see what you know what bucks are, you know, cruising the area, uh, calling home and, and make my plan off that. But as far as what I'm looking for, what a successful season is. Uh, for me, obviously, any any time I can sit in a tree stand and enjoy Mother Nature is a win. We both know that. Absolutely. Um, yep. 
And I mean, some of my favorite seasons have resulted in uh, eating my tag. Like uh, 2011, I had one of the best seasons I've ever had uh, and just saw so many deer cruising and saw so many cool things and never, never tagged out. But from a, from an actual animal standpoint, I don't know, man, uh, more than likely here's what, well, here's what will happen. Uh, I'm going to be in a mood whatever day this mood is in, you know, whatever my mood is at the time, if my mood is, Hey man, I got to get home back to the family. I'm going to shoot the first four year old that probably walks by. But then there's this mood that I get in sometimes where I'm going to, I want to shoot a four year old or older that won't change. It's going to be a mature buck. That's my goal. But if I'm there, there, depending on my mood, there is something where I may pass a four-year-old because he doesn't have big antlers. You know what I mean? So if that opportunity presents itself, if I'm going in after a, a buck, let's say that, um, you know, I get the opportunity to do that too. Uh, and I pass a, a smaller four-year-old to get to a, a different one. I think this year I might pass do do a little more passing like in previous years uh if the opportunity presents itself and what the mood is right if it's right. if it's day four of the hunt and i've already got the text that says when are you going to be home man i'd hate to be the first four-year-old buck that walks by my stand <laughs> after i got that text you yeah. know what i mean like for sure so so and you know i'm gonna i'm gonna go into this season just really patient and really and, and really with no expectations because I, th I feel that once you give yourself expectations at, s at some point, you're you're just leading up to failure, and you become stressed if the time's running down and you don't meet that goal, or you know what I mean. If that makes sense, yeah. It, I was just gonna say it's so, kind of like the it's like the there's two sides to that coin. It's like there's yeah. something really awesome about having goals going into a hunting season or something like the, the challenge yeah. and the, the chess match or whatever, trying to achieve a goal and that feeling of accomplishment when you do like, that's one of my favorite things about hunting. But at the same time, if you let that go too far, and we, we've talked about this a lot in the past and past years, right? Sometimes you let it go too far. And then like you said, you get overly stressed about it and it takes the fun out of what hunting is supposed to be too. So it's like, how do you, yeah. you it's like that line again, you got to walk that line. Um, goals are great but if you go too far with it sometimes you can miss what's most important absolutely and you know in the past you know when i was chasing shipwreck and i went four years uh you know i i just remember passing a four-year-old 150 inch 10 pointer one day and i i looked back at that and i was just like whoa you're stupid for doing that <laughs> right uh -huh. i mean that's the big if i would have killed that deer it would have been the biggest deer i've ever ever shot and I had this, you know, and a, I had a chance and I had a real chance at, you know, going after some big old deer, but I was kind of hyper-focused on one animal. Uh, and I don't know if that'll ever happen again. It may, but as of right now, it won't, that I, I can't do that. And I, I don't want to do that. I just want to enjoy myself. Uh, you know, I, I harvested last year, so um, I, th I really think that I'm okay with whatever whatever cards are played in front of me. If that means eating my tag, it means eating my tag. I mean, I'm going to be selective, but I'm not going to – I don't know. It's just like for me, I feel like I'm going to be in a mood. 
I'm going to be like, there's a mood that I have to be into. Like, am I in a straight up kill mode or am I in a, Hey, let's just wait and see what happens mode. You know what I mean? I was going to say, is there any buck that you already know is in the area that made it or that you think might have made it that if you start getting like good Intel on this buck, whether that be camera pictures or some encounters of them, is there any buck that if you had that, no, that, that Intel that, you know, what would cause yep. you to start passing like four-year-olds or like multiple decent four-year-olds is there a deer that would make you all of a sudden say okay you know what i said i wanted to kill a decent buck but now this is happening right so oh you mean like as far as past um uh, past history yeah like is there one of these deer that might make you say well you know what i've getting i'm getting this buck in daylight I've saw him twice already. Now I'm going to pass everything for the next week and a half or whatever because I really want to kill X. Is there any deer that right. could do that to you that you know of? Yeah. Uh, and right now I think it's just one, and that would be that dork buck. Um, there's I have a couple pictures of um, him this year, and and there's another buck too that may make me do it. But um, so so basically two bucks that I've had that I have on. Uh, trail camera so far but it would have to be pretty like pretty consistent pretty wired down you know you know like i know he's going to be coming out of this woodlot tonight and i'm going to set up on one of these trails and he's going to he's going to decide to come on one of these trails or not and uh if another one comes if i have solid concrete evidence and daylight sightings and daylight pictures of this of that those two bucks. Which is the other yes. one? Which is the other one other than Dork? Um, that really big ten pointer. Um, he's a he's got like a one split brow tine. Oh yeah, yeah. The big the big one. Uh, I'm looking through my trail camera pictures right now, and then obviously there's Dork. He's like a seven or eight year old this year. Um, Have you ever found then, one of his sheds? Nope. I, I think I am on the outside of his home range, gotcha. like that he he just comes in on certain crop rotations at different times of the year. Um, I have another like there's a there's this one buck that his head looks as big as like a steer head, right? Just a giant cow head uh, with probably a now he's got a funky rack, but if it was the same on both sides, he'd be like in the 160s. I'd love to see him, but again, you know, it's just, I'm going to go out and hunt if that make, if that is more clear. I hear you. I hear you. What about, but I'm happy either way. Yeah. What about Gordon Bombay? I know you don't know if he's back yet or not, but he's yeah. right. Gordon Bombay is the super wide buck that right. now I want to make sure I'm not getting these confused in my head. Is that the same buck that Ryan hit in the antlers, or is, was this, did this buck show up new nope. the next year? Yeah, this is a this is a different buck. That buck was around in 2014. So Gordon Bombay has been around 2013, 14, 15. I was looking at old pictures of him the other night. But he's, he's the one that won the trail camera contest two years ago. Yep, he won the trail camera contest, and um, he went down. He went down, but got wider. Um, his antlers kind of shrunk but got wider so on this year's crop rotation is when i have pictures of him coming up towards the top of the um of the property so i have a couple pictures of him on 
like October 7th, but it's during the night. So, you know, and like I always say, a trail camera picture of a buck in the middle of the night is the same as not having a trail camera picture of that buck at all, because you shouldn't make your decisions based off of, uh, off of a 3 AM or a midnight trail camera picture, because that buck is, especially if he is on a pattern, if you move in to chase a buck whose pattern is 3 AM, then all you're doing is ruining that area. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So typically Gordon Bombay is on this, you know, on the completely opposite side of the property. I doubt he lives there late October. He comes through every year, but it's at like midnight. Um, I don't have any daylight pictures of him, uh, except July of last year. So that's why I haven't checked that trail camera picture, uh, that trail, uh, that trail camera down where I always get the pictures of him yet. I'm going to wait. Um, and the only other, other than that buck, who knows if he's made it or not, but the only other thing that I'm really working on this year is access through cricks because, and, and I've said this a lot on the, um, on the podcast. I feel that when I drive through the property through the one direction, I am completely pushing deer back to the bedding areas faster than if I come from the other side and hunt, you know, and I actually hunt the property from the opposite side and let that natural movement come back to the bedding areas as opposed to like pushing them. Right. Right. I think, I think that's gonna make a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's just following through at that point. That's the trick, right? Right. Right. And, and being patient. So I don't know, man, realistically. So, you know, going back to the deer, it's going to be a, my goal is always going to be a four year old, you know, until the four-year-old someday dry up. Um, but it's always going to be a four-year-old and, uh, depending on what the antlers, you know, or what mood I'm in could depend on what four-year-old I take a crack at. And I'm not guaranteed a four-year-old. However, I do, I'm looking at a trail camera picture right now of what I'm guessing is a two-year-old, probably 145 class buck. Good Lord. So, 10 pointer with split brows. So that's one of those bucks where this year I, I know he's small enough. I wouldn't shoot him, but let's say he's a three-year-old at 160. Let's say <laughs> I, I would, I would, I hope I, I don't see him. Yeah. You know, like I, I just don't want him to even tempt me. That's a tough, uh, in, in that moment, it's really hard to make the, like, even right. like logically think in your head, okay, that's a young buck. Like lots of times you're just so fired right. up. Right. Yep. Especially if their neck's all swollen up and they got that, that mass from the rut, like oh, the yeah. pre-rut. Oh, yeah. So what about you? What's realistic on, on your end? Well, before we get to that, before we talk about those goals and expectations for the season, I want to take a quick break for a word from our partners at Whitetail Properties. And Spencer Newharth has another Whitetail Properties land specialist with us today to share some Whitetail wisdom. This week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Rich Baugh, a land specialist out of southeastern Iowa. And Rich is going to be telling us about how he patterns mature bucks without educating them. So what I like to do is uh, figure out where a buck's living. And so during the late summer and early fall months, I'll run trail cameras around my farm, probably one for every 40 to 60 acres, and try to figure out where the different mature bucks are living. Um, you really have to keep an eye on that. You know, once October and November get here, because they, they often tend to, disperse and, and move around a little bit 
but but I still use cameras, and I and I have them in areas where you know, I'm not going to disturb the deer to check them. One of the things, you know, that that's key to me is I just don't pressure deer in early, early October. I figure out where they're living, you know, where they feed, and then really don't hunt them until the last week of October, first week of November, when I know they're going to be on their feet before dark and and still on their feet after daylight. Otherwise, you know, you risk educating them and making them go nocturnal. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Rich currently has listed for sale, visit whitetailproperties.com backslash baugh. That's B-A-U-G-H. So realistic, I think. Uh, okay, so if we're talking whitetails, if I could if I could fill one tag on my western trip from Montana or North Dakota, I think that's a realistic goal. That'd be awesome if I could at least fill one tag out there with a mature buck. Um, so, uh, I'd like to try to shoot a four-year-old out there. Um, so my goal would be at least a four-year-old in one of those two states. And then in Michigan, realistic, if I can kill Holyfield, that's my number one of all goals is to, is to close that chapter and put all that to rest and, and kind of just make that happen. A lot that we've talked about a thousand times, so I won't reiterate all the different things going on there, but that's, I think that's, I think but that's realistic. I have realistic. a question. Oh Yeah. I have a question about that though. Okay. So Holyfield shows up on camera. Doesn't matter what time of day. Let's say it's in the middle of the night and it's like October 1st, right? So he's not huntable at that point. Are you passing or dedicating an entire season to that buck if he starts to do what he did last year? Yeah. So here's where my head's at on that. I am, I'm definitely dedicating my season in Michigan to him but if he shows up if he shows up yes if he shows up but if like I'm out there in mid-October mid-November or some if at some point if a once in a lifetime Michigan buck shows up that I don't know of that's not Holyfield I would shoot that buck but then continue to hunt for Holyfield after that Um, like I've always told myself on this property where Holyfield is I'll only take one buck a year there because it's just an area where there's there's not many like if there's a mature buck it's usually the only mature buck in the area every any given season and it's just it's a lot of hunting pressure there's just not a lot of big old deer so i've always said you know if i take one that's going to be it but in this year if it was like a if it was like a once in a lifetime michigan buck or like the biggest michigan deer i've ever seen like if a one if a 155 four five or six year old buck that i've never seen before all of a sudden shows up in front of me on november 6th and i still haven't killed holyfield i'm gonna shoot that buck um but then still try to kill holyfield the rest of the season um but i'm not gonna shoot anything borderline i'm not gonna shoot like if there's like bucks that i would usually kill in the past you know like if there's like a four-year-old 130 or something running around or a 135 or you know something like that that's a nice like usually be a really nice michigan buck mature buck those deer I'm going to pass on this year, hoping that they'll make it to future years so that I can get Holyfield this year and then have another deer next year. Um, but if it's like just right. a, if it's a monster that just shows up out of nowhere, I will break my rule and try to kill two deer on that property. Um, right. But, right. you know, that's never happened before. I've never seen a monster out there. I've never had a random buck like that show up before, so that's probably not going to happen. Um, a lot of things have to go right for that to happen. Yeah, yeah. So I think most likely what's going to happen is that I, th- I think there's a good chance Holyfield will be back. I think there's a good chance there's going to be a bunch of other people around there. They're going to be hunting for him too. Um, so there's a good chance he can get killed by someone else, but there's still, I think, 
a good chance that I can get a shot. I'm mean, I think I've got you know we've talked about my plan, we've talked about the habitat improvements I've made. Um, I think all that stuff should put me in in as about as good of a position as I could ask for given the the set of cards I have. Um, so I'm gonna try my best. I'm gonna try my very best. And, yeah. and this year it's definitely Holyfield. It's I'm not gonna pass Holyfield this year. I don't. I don't. It's not gonna right. be like midway through the season and I'm all of a sudden gonna say, eh, no, I, I want to see if he can make another year. Like no, the, I'm definitely. He's he's gonna be very mature this year. Three years right. of history. I've learned a ton from him. Um, if I can somehow be lucky enough and fortunate enough to get a crack at him, that, that I'm gonna take advantage of it. So, right. I tell you what, there's two there's two bucks or stories that I'm following very closely. One of them is yours in Holyfield, and the other one is our buddy Ben and his his deer that he's chased for a while, pork. So pork, yes. Um, yep. So there's those are two that I'm following very closely. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's one of those things that we talk about, like hunting for one specific deer or like having a long term like hunt for deer. It's it can be really frustrating. It can be stressful. All those things we talked about earlier. But it's also like it's one of the coolest things I've been able to experience as a hunter too. Like there's right. something really fun about learning a deer, trying to you know pick into all the details and like studying all the different trail camera pictures and past encounters. I've got like two pages of a notebook filled up with every encounter with Holyfield and the wind direction and the moon and the time of day and the time of year and all this kind of stuff and like it's just so much fun looking at that and thinking through, okay, why do you do this and why this? And how could I take advantage of that? I mean, that geeking out is, is still one of my absolute favorite things to do. So that's, that's a cool thing. So yeah, absolutely. I will, if, if either way, whenever and however Holyfield uh, goes down, I will miss just that very extended big time chess match that that's been going on. And hopefully I'll, you know, hopefully there'll be another one someday, but yeah, Heck man. Yeah. Realistically, if I can kill Holyfield, that's that's the goal. That would be amazing. Um, you know, the other stuff I've got going on in Michigan would be awesome if something pans out up north or in public. But um, that's you know very pretty unlikely. But I'm gonna give it a shot. We um, heck, I can't remember if we talked about it last time or not. But uh, have got some more food plot stuff going on at our northern Michigan place. My my dad has a friend who's gonna come up with a tractor and help us get some final stuff planted and opened up so that the food plot system that we started two years ago that we got planted finally last year that really helped us start to finally see some decent deer up there we're going to be we've expanded it now this year a little bit so like we're taking these tiny steps to make things better up there and try to bring that back which is super cool um so that's fun and then ohio like i said realistically um, I'm going to try to hold out out there, maybe be a little bit more picky than I usually am. But realistically, if when it all comes down to it, if I can kill a four-year-old out there, um, I'd be, I'd be super happy. And I think it's, it's possible, you know, it's all, I think it's always possible. It's just one of those spots, you know, it's like, it's, it's hot and cold. I'll probably hunt right. five, six days and not see a deer or see like one or two deer a day and be <laughs> pissed and frustrated. But then day seven or whatever, all of a sudden a, a giant can come strolling through. So that's one of those spots that like. You just need extreme patience and like an ability to handle long hours of boredom. So, right. so that's, that's right. kind of, so I think realistically, if I could fill up my Michigan tag with Holyfield, one buck on one of the out of state trips in Montana or North Dakota, um, and then an Ohio buck over the course of the three, four month season, that, uh, that would be awesome. Probably even two out of those tags would be two out of four tags would be a great season. So, right. right. Um, I don't know, man. 
talking about all this stuff, I just, uh, in like, every single episode, I don't know if this is like, I don't know if people think we're crazy because we say this every episode or if everybody else feels the exact same way. But every time when we're on here talking about this stuff, like I just, like my fingers get tingly and I'm like sweating. Oh, it's and adrenaline. I'm just, like I'm ready. Like I just can't get yeah. in the tree soon enough. Um, right. I'm just so, I just love this stuff so, 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 so much. Right. I love it. I don't know, man. So, so I got this uh, map that Ben gave me and, you know, I got the magnets on it. Right? Oh, you got the Hunterra Magna map? Yeah, the Magna map. Oh, um, I don't have one of those. That he, well, you got to call him up. Say, I'm so. Mark Kenyon. Give me one. <laughs> I, he, he, he's given me so many nice maps. I don't want to ask him for anything more. But that's awesome, dude. So you got the Magna map. Magna map, right? And I'm right. It's right in front of my microphone. So I'm actually like I'm literally staring at my property while I record the podcasts. And I'm there's two orange. The orange rep on my map. Orange represents tree stand locations. And there are two orange magnets that I am literally daydreaming about every time I sit in this chair. And I just I cut them out already this year. They are just literally sitting there. Like, don't you wish that you could be just a fly in the timber for, or, or like have some kind of device that you can fast forward and stop or tr- teleport to your stand and just sit, sit there and wait and see. But these two stands are two <laughs> pinch points on the farm that I, I, it's like, I wonder what kind of movement is going through there and what's going to happen come, come November. Uh-huh. All right, so ideal scenario. Tell me about one of these spots. What's your daydream look like at that spot? All right, so the daydream is I'm walking in in the morning, right? I'm following, you know, making sure that this wind, northwest wind is what I need. Uh, And I need it on one of the stands is a straight north, northeast maybe. The other one is just your typical northwest wind. North would work as well. But my scent's going to go down. It's going to go out into a field or into a cattle pasture. And these deer are in a pinch point between a creek and an inside corner of this uh, fence. And I think I told you about that. I went further down the fence and I took a whole bunch of dead wood and dead limbs and stacked and blocked the other entrance so they can't jump into the – or that it was – a down tree fell over the fence. So I blocked that up. So hopefully that forces them to come – around that inside corner again and there I have a tree stand waiting on a, one fence crossing so literally those two stands are hunting one I'm hunting one trail that's how tight the pinch point is wow. and uh, I mean they, they can go other they can go down further than that but a majority of the traffic is coming through uh, these two trails and it's over a you know it's over a certain you know, it's over a certain period of time. I'm sure they're they're coming through 24 hours a day through that during the rut. But so so what what day what day is the stage room happening? What's the weather like? What are the conditions like when you're going in here? Right, I'm guessing it's going to be somewhere around November. For some reason, 11th pops up in my head. Uh, November 11th deer pops up in my head I'm sitting in there in a northwest wind one of those mornings right where there's frost on the ground it's quite like it's really 
loud walking to your stand because the leaves are extra crunchy because of the frost on them. And I'm sitting there. I'm facing. Let's see. What way is my tree stand facing? It's actually facing east, but I'll be shooting to the west, you know, because I always like to have my trees, my the tree in between me and where I'm shooting. And the goal is to, you know, hear that. Yeah. And then maybe a. And then you see a immediately, doe. Immediately your heart yeah. starts pumping. Yep. Stand up, grab the bow, turn to this fence crossing, watch the doe jump. And then the buck comes up. You know how deer, they'll walk straight up unless they're running. They'll walk up to it first, stop, and then jump. If like a, a calm deer will do yes, that. Yes. Yeah. And then right when he stops, before he crosses that fence, we draw back. Oh, you're shooting that's before. Okay. Yep. You shoot him right before he jumps. Um, so that's, th- that's what I envision, but, uh, <laughs> we'll <see laughs> what'll actually happen <laughs> <laughs> is I'll shank the shot, hit the uh-huh. fence and blind the deer. Oh man. Yeah. I hear you there. Right. I'm right there with you. Hey, speaking of shanking the shot, um, yeah. both you and me are going yep. through some changes with our shots and with our archery. Yep. We haven't talked about this on the Wiredown podcast yet. Um, but we have both in the past, like way in the past, we've both alluded to various issues with rushing shots or maybe a little bit of target panic here and there, some stuff like that. Um, and so we, we've talked about different like incremental changes we can make, like saying, okay, we're gonna take a little more time or we're gonna have like a better shot process or something. But neither one of us have made like really big differences over the course of big changes in the last three or four years. But now all of a sudden without even consulting each other, we both have made drastic changes to what we're doing this summer. Um, and we haven't talked about it yet. I think maybe we should talk about that now. What do you think? Let's do it. So, so I guess I'll, I'll, I'll give my quick, uh, update on what's going on for me real fast. And then I'm interested to hear about your, how you got to this point too. But for me, um, I got, so I got a new Matthews Halon this past year, 32 sweet bow, took it to the pro shop, got it all set up. Um, but then when I got back and started shooting, um, I can't remember what happened, but like over like there were three different things that happened and each time I had to go back to the pro shop, like my rest had been set too loosely. And so when I got home, the center shot was off and it was all messed up. And so I had to go check it out and get it retuned. So then I went back to the shop and then when I got back something with, um, oh, what was it? I think my draw length was wrong when I got back. I can't remember all these, it was a draw length issue. There was a rest, uh, the cord on my rest broke. Um, I, the very first time I forgot to have the peep set put in. So I had to go back and forth to the pro shop like three or four different times. So all these different things that happened with the setup of my bow. And when I start shooting the bow, I'm like, I am way inconsistent. Like I can't get my shot right. Like, I don't know what's going on. And I just couldn't, I couldn't identify. I couldn't diagnose what the issue was because there were so many new things in the shot. Like it wasn't like I was shooting the old bow I'd been comfortable with. And all of a sudden my shot started falling apart. I could say, okay, what's changed, but everything changed now, right? It was a new bow. Plus I had all these different trips to the pro shop with all these different changes made and the rest got messed up. Someone had to tie in a new cord, a different weird way. Um, My draw length got changed two different times. Like, so I was like, I didn't know which variable was the issue. And because of that, I like was getting more and more stressed out. I go and I'd be shooting and shooting. And I'm like, what the hell? Like every time, like sure, 20 yards are fine, 30 yards. But as I start to stretch it out, like I'm getting way more flyers than I should have. And I couldn't, like it was, 
I couldn't figure out what was going on. So then I was like thinking about it more. So every shot, I was like overthinking every shot and like trying to force it to be a perfect shot every time. I think that was making things even worse. And I finally was like, okay, like this is bigger than like some little weird off day. Like there's something going on. You just need to, you need someone else to give you like a second opinion. Um, so I've, I've never like worked with a shooting coach. I've never had a buddy come in that was really good and like look at what I do. Like literally everything in my shooting, I, I taught myself how to shoot and was, I've just been shooting the way I taught myself how to shoot for, you know, 15 years or whatever it's been. So finally, Andy May, um, our, our friend who was on the podcast with us last week, I guess, or at the live podcast of the QD May convention, I had him come out and he's really, really serious about his archery and, and uh, is really good at this stuff. He came out and like started to look at what's going on. And he helped me diagnose a couple issues with my bow setup that I've gotten fixed. And then at the same time, he, you know, wanted to look at my shot sequence and process to better understand if I have any like symptoms of target panic. Um, I never really thought I did, but I I know I've rushed shots. Like I I know I have the tendency to rush shots, but I never equated that with target panic. I always thought that was just like me rushing it. I never like in my mind, I thought those were like two different things. Um, but he had me do a couple different exercises that, kind of opened my eyes to like yes these are symptoms of like some type of bad thing um like for example he said okay just uh just draw back put the pin in the target and then don't shoot but just hold put your fit put your finger on that trigger but then don't shoot and like i did that and i felt like my body as soon as my finger as soon as i put my finger on that trigger and that pin hit the bull the bullseye like my body wanted to hit that trigger so bad like it almost like in my head, I had like a flinch, like I p- punch that trigger. And, um, I've had this a couple other times where sometimes when I'm shooting, like I'll have that where like my whole body like shudders cause I wanted to shoot. I wanted to hit the trigger, but I stopped myself. Um, so basically there were some like underlying anticipation issues that I had been like ignoring. So long story short, he helped me reset up my bow, get everything set up properly. Everything's beautiful right now. And then also I am switching to a back tension release process. So I'm not using a back tension release yet. Um, I got a different index finger release, but I'm using a back tension process. So I'm hooking my finger on there tight and then I'm pulling back with my shoulder blade and my, and my back muscles to release that bow instead of, you know, in the past I'd always just squeeze the trigger with my finger like a gun. And, um, so for the last month or so since we talked about that that's what i've been working on um it's a different index finger it's a much harder break it's my old release was like you could squeeze it like halfway down and it wouldn't go off this new one it's like yeah. it's a hard break um so yeah i'm working on all this stuff i've been listening to a lot of po- different podcasts different guys who've talked to some archery experts about this kind of stuff um i don't know if you've seen anything from joel turner iron mind hunting have you heard anything of his no, I haven't, but I'm gonna have to check it out now. Yeah, check it out. He's been on some. He's been on like the Gritty Bowman podcast, um, and he's got an online video course. I haven't checked out the full video course yet. I've watched some of his YouTube videos and listened to him, like I said. And he's got some really great thoughts on on dealing with this and developing the, the, the mental side of this shot sequence and making sure that you're not anticipating and punching and doing these different things. So, so that's what I've been working on, and so like I've been like starting back at ground zero. Like I took my sight off my bow and I've sat at like three yards away from the target. And for, for a week and a half or two weeks, I just worked on just getting that release, right. Just pulling through over and over and over and over and over and over. 
and now I've got the sight back on and I'm like just doing it at 10 yards and then just doing it at 15 yards and just doing it at 20 and just trying to get like a perfect 10 on my release. I'm not worrying about, yeah. you know, getting, not worried about holding that pin on there perfect. I'm just trying to get that perfect release um, and more so just letting the pin hover. And so my new like shot sequence, like mantra now, again, this I pulled this from like Brian Call and Joel Turner and I've been using it. It's working well for me. It's like I draw back. I immediately lock my trigger. I load up my trigger. I immediately have my finger on the trigger. I splash the pin right on the on the bullseye. So in my head, I say splash it on there. So I get it right there on the on the on the dot, and then I watch it keep it. So now I'm just in my mind. I'm just trying to just keep it there. Just watch the dot that I'm trying to hit, but I'm not like overly hard trying to aim. I'm just letting it float, but just lasering my eye at the spot I want to hit and letting it float around there. And then once I'm ready, it's all about having like that controlled process now i'm t- my, the final thing i say is here we go and as soon as in my mind i see here we go that activates my back muscles to start slowly pulling until it until it releases um right so joel turner's thought is that by having by having words and we've talked about a mantra before and i've used some mantras in the past but i've never like really 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 done a great job with it i've always kind of given it lip service but now i'm trying to like drill it in it seems like the guys that are really good at this, you, you use something like that to control your process so that you're not, so you're not controlled by the moment. You need to be able to do this stuff like with muscle memory and it needs to be like second nature, but at the same time you can't black out and go into like autopilot at the same time. Like it needs, right. you need to be the one in control of when you decide to shoot that deer. It can't be as soon as the pin happens to be in the right spot, all of a sudden I punch it, which has happened to me in the past. Yeah. Um, yep. So that is like the Cliff Notes version of what I'm doing right now. But um, where are you at? I think you're in a similar place, right? But actually, before Dan answers that, we need to take our final break of the day for word from the Whitetail Institute of North America. And right now, early August when we're recording this, we are getting into the prime time of fall food plot planning season. So today our producer, Spencer Newharth, has caught up again with John Cooner to hear about one of Whitetail Institute's best fall food plot options. This week with Whitetail Institute, we're talking to consultant John Cooner about their special blend of Imperial Whitetail Beets and Greens, which is designed to hold deer fall all the way through winter. Beets and Greens is a is a neat product. It is an all-brassica product, but it's unusual in that it's a blend of, of multiple brassica varieties that you know, serve a number of purposes. The main ones are that they provide together attraction and food for deer from the fall all the way into and maybe through the dead of winter. The components are sugar beets. Most folks know how attractive they are to deer when you plant them in the fall. It's got tall tine turnip in it which is a turnip variety that the Whitetail Institute developed over six years specifically for deer. Uh, the tall tine turnip, the foliage is for late fall through winter. It also has a kale variety in it that is unusual uh, when compared to most kale varieties and that it's loose-leafed, uh, it's very attractive to deer, uh, and it's a vegetable cultivar that, uh, that does not grow in a tight head the way a cabbage does. And finally, there's the Whitetail Institute 412 radish, that maximizes the attraction over the long term by adding forage and tubers for later in the year. As a secondary uh, benefit, the product, uh, because of the tubers produced by the radish and uh, tall tine tubers, can actually improve this quality, especially of compacted soils, by drilling down even a couple of feet into the soil and making wide spaces uh, that help water and air move 
uh, and any tubers that remain after winter will break down the following spring and even improve uh, the quality of soil by adding organic matter. But the main thing is it's built for attraction of deer all the way through fall and through the winter. If you'd like more info on Whitetail Institute's forage products, check out whitetailinstitute.com where they also carry some of the top supplements, attractants, and herbicides available. Yeah, man. I, uh, you know, same here. I got a new bow this year as well. And, and it's a completely different t- type of bow than anything that's out there. So it's it's taken me a while to, um, you know, learn how to do it, just like any, anything that's new. But I decided I was going to, <laughs> this is just like last month in July, I'm going to buy a back tension release. And although I like like it and I think it's going to help me in the long run, I think I made a poor decision by trying to start a back start using a back tension release this close to the actual hunting season. Yeah. Because I think there is a much greater learning curve than there is time and I do not have at this point in my uh like I don't have the I don't want to say I have the time because I try to shoot as much as possible throughout the week, but I don't have enough time to learn the back tension release and to do everything that's necessary to, you know, perfect it like I would need to. Yeah. So I, I shoot a couple rounds with it. Um, and then I will go back to my wrist strap. So for my wrist release. So my question to you is when you went from so you didn't necessarily change releases, right? You just use a, a principles from back tension on your current rest or on your on your current release. So, so no, I did change to a new release as well, but it's it's still an index finger release. But gotcha. The difference is that my old release was like one of the super cheap, like uh, I don't know, just one of like it was like the same type of release I've used my entire life, like your basic yeah. beginner index finger release. But the trigger on that is like it's got the spring in it, and so you can slowly squeeze that trigger down, and it slowly opens, and then you can release it, and it, it open, closes again. And because right. that that trigger creep, and um, from what I understand, yeah. that's not really good for getting a good consistent release, especially if you're trying to use back tension. Um, so I got a different release that is like it doesn't have a spring in it; it's like a hook. You know, it's just the hook style. Yep. My old one was yep. the double caliper. This is the hook style, and like. As soon as this hits X pounds of pressure or whatever, it just breaks open. Um, so it's much more conducive to a surprise, clean release. And then right. it's, a, it's a much shorter release. So my the trigger is much deeper in my finger. Uh, the thought process being there is that you've got so many like touch receptors on the point of your finger, the end of your finger, that you're more right. likely to want to, you know, it's just very touchy. So a lot of us, when you've got the, the tip of your finger on the trigger, it's just jumpy. You want to push it. You want to pull it like a gun. So the thought process is by putting that trigger deeper into your finger. So now like at the, the first knuckle, it's, it's, you're not going to, you're not using that finger anymore. Instead, it's just a hook. So my finger is hooked around the trigger deep in there. And I've, I've got pressure on that trigger. And then, like, I'm holding on. I draw. I've got a hooked around the trigger. As soon as I start pulling back my with my back and my shoulder, I'm not using my finger at all. It's just like a hook. As soon as I start pulling that back, that releases it. Um, okay. So it's, it's a different – it's the back tension release type concept, but 
as I from these guys and from Andy and everyone says you know this is this is a way to do it um but you know like you said there's lots of different there's like the there's a back tension like hinge release there's like the thumb button type release um which do you have is yours a hinge like do you have no control or is it no I have the safety the thumb safety on it it's the uh knock on um so it's John Dudley's is it silverback yep Yep, it's a silverback from Carter Enterprises. Yeah. Um, so it's the silverback, and um, that's what I, I pre-practice with. Um, so yeah, I mean, and it, it is completely different. But the reason I bought it is because I was at Ben's house, and he his his release was is set up perfect. Like mine's not finely tuned yet to where I need it to be, because you know you gotta I gotta reduce some poundage on it yet, but. As soon as, you know, I plan on, you know, spending a lot more time getting it dialed in, but it, uh, it's completely different than the trigger finger, and it does make you think. It makes you think about your shot before, you know, before you actually pull the trigger, because it's making you do something. It's not making you just squeeze a trigger. You have to, you have to be aware that you're, you know, pulling that extra weight in, in rotating your back muscle in to uh, make that shot fire. Yeah. So y- yours though, it's, you've got it. So as you draw back, you're holding the safety down as you draw back and then you get to full draw. And then once you're anchored, then you release the safety. And now yep. as soon as you start pulling through that tension, you put through your back releases it, right? Yep. That's right. Okay. So yeah, it's, so then there's another one. Like if I'm, I'm no expert. I've never used this, but I think then there's the hinge style that basically is a similar type thing, but there's like a rotating hinge in there that starts turning. And maybe that's how a regular back, maybe I'm talking about the same thing here. Um, but that's another one where you don't have actual control of when the shot goes off. You just need to pull back and pull, and then it's going to release when it releases after you release that safety. And then there's the thumb style where you again pull back, but then you're able to, as you pull back, you push your thumb against a thumb button, which is what actually yeah. releases it. Um, I don't know. Um, it sounds like we're both kind of in the early stages of trying to figure this out. And like you said, I wish we, yeah. I wish we'd both start this sooner. Um, yeah. But I think right. it's, I think it's good. It's like you know what, might as well. You know, like for a long time, I always thought like I'm good enough. Like you know, I, I feel really comfortable shooting out to forty. And some some years when I was going elk hunting, I was feeling comfortable shooting farther than that. And I always thought like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I got it pretty good, like pretty consistent. I feel comfortable out there getting shots at, at deer. But every once in a while, you know, I'd have a rush shot or I'd have something go wrong, and, and I kind of would chalk yeah. that up to oh, I made a mistake in the moment. Um, but maybe there's like some 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 deeper things going on that I can fix, and if I can fix it, why not try to? So that's some demons yeah. that we have to fight. Exactly. So that's what uh, that's what we're trying to do now, I guess. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see how we progress. I just want to become an overall better archer too. You oh, know, sure. it's like you don't always have to be a good hunter to you know if you're a good archer. But in order to be a good hunter or bow hunter, I feel you have you should be the best possible archer you should be. And I'm not the best possible archer I should be. So I wanted to improve my my basic skills. I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You should take a listen to that uh, the stuff from Joel Turner. I, like I said, I haven't done the course yet. I mean, I can't like recommend the course because I haven't done it yet. But uh, I'm I'm planning on it, and the stuff I've heard from him 
has been interesting. I think Kevin Morrow mentioned him on our podcast with him uh, like yep. last couple months ago. We talked yep. about Target Panic a little bit with him, and he mentioned the name Joel Turner, but I hadn't like heard of him before, so it didn't like register. Um, but when I finally went and checked out of his stuff, it's been very helpful for me. Um, so you might you might find that helpful. And I'm going to try to get um, – we're working on getting Levi Morgan on the podcast here soon, and we'll talk some archery yep. stuff with him soon and some other guys um, too. So hopefully we'll have some opportunities to keep learning as we get closer to the season. So, yeah, man. Um, that's our shot stuff. We've talked about our goals. Do you have any, do you have any like um, – not related to like killing a deer or like a certain deer or anything like that. But do you have any goals this year? Every year I feel like we always have some kind of like intangible goals or like some experiential goals or anything, or just like, I don't know. Is there anything this year you hope to like, when you come out of the season, something you'll have done something or you, I don't know. Do you have any intangible goals? I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but is there anything that comes to mind as I'm rambling? Yeah. As far as hunting itself, uh, not necessarily killing, but, but, the the overall like deer hunting overall yeah well mine would be that the access like in order for me to know if i really am disturbing the property driving in from the one side i have got to access use the access routes you know from the cricks and if i can uh if i can do that and it shows me that um you know, a there's not a big difference, or b there is a big difference. I will I will know, and as we all know, knowledge is power, and you know it allows you to do some crazy things. I think that if I can if I can just follow through with that and learn from what what that access tells me about the farm, I think I'll be in a much better place to to finally get a piece of property kind of figured out because although. I have a good idea of how my property works. I don't know it as detailed and as anally as I want to know it. Like I want to know where these deer are specifically bedding. Um, and yes, I know where bedding areas are, but I don't know specific beds on specific winds. And that's how detailed I want to know this farm when it's all said and done. Right. Do you find, is this, were you able, I don't think we talked about this at all this spring, I don't, so I don't know if you did or didn't, but were you able to scout out and look for specific beds like that this spring, or is that something you want to try to do this coming off season? Well, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult, and I talked to, um, oh man, I forget his name about, forget his name, um, man, he's going to be pissed at me, but anyway, we, dis- we discussed the difference between, you know, like, Dan Infault gives really awesome detailed advice on how to find buck beds and hunt buck beds well on my farm and in this terrain buck like deer period have so many different beds based off of all these different winds on different fingers and you know different terrain features that a buck bed in marsh country doesn't look like uh, a buck bed where I'm at, so it's it's going to be harder to find. Uh, it though those deer move from you know season to season. They move on food sources. They move on wind direction, and so it's a little bit more difficult for me to go in and find specific beds when there's so so many variables. So um, 
and the guy I talked with, he kind of was like, okay, here's what you need to look for. Uh, he's on the hunting beast as well. So, he, and he sent me a, a document of what I need to look for as, based off of pure terrain features, uh, off of a topo map. Uh, so, uh, I'm going to check those places out this year and basically just try to be as, as observant as humanly possible to, to the most detail to the to as detailed as humanly possible i like it yeah i like it i don't know i um so is your farm i mean you and but i'm talking about like my main farm is like 400 so i have i probably have about 500 acres all together in this one area there are different property owners and whatnot but they're all in this specific area and they all in some way shape or form run into each other and you know I, I want to figure out not only the, the micro, but I want to f- uh, figure out the macro as well. So on your lease in Ohio, what, what's that, like 130 acres? No, it's 90. And 90, of, okay. And of that, there's like 35 that's huntable. Really, the rest is a field. It's right. maybe maybe 40, but it's like it's such a small area. Like it's there's There's nothing to it almost. There's big open field, and there's two fingers of timber that come into the field. And so I know there's a little bit of bedding on the smaller finger, and then on the bigger finger, there's, you know, it, the finger is created because there's this ditch that kind of, there's a creek that runs out towards the field. And so there's like that really low spot, the ditch in the middle, like deep, like valley, I guess. And then there's ridges that run on either side. So then there's bedding on either one of those ridges, like the little knobs that come off those ridges, there's bedding. Some doe bedding, and the big thick, there's some cutovers on it, and a couple knobs with cedars and stuff, and that's where usually a buck. If there's a good buck in the area on that piece bedded, usually it seems like that's one of those spots that he's likely to be on occasion. So it's not it's not one of those spots that has like a ton to figure out. I mean, I could see like 400, 500 acres. There's a lot to sink your teeth into and try to figure that out. In a smaller property like this, it's kind of like, well, you got this. So there's not as much to work with, but at the same time, there's it's not as much of a challenge because you know, okay, they're going to move through A or B. And then it just becomes like being there at the right time and being there enough. Um, so it's 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 limiting because I don't have very many options. But at the same time, it makes it a little bit less stressful because it, it's either it's either going to happen or it's not in one of these two places, basically two or three places. Um, that's kind of where where we've come with the property. At first, I was like, oh wow, like trying to figure all these different things out. And now, like five years into it, I kind of know, okay. There's a couple spots that's going to be here, here, and then there's a, we've got a bunch of other stands and kind of like tertiary places that are, you could see one maybe long range and call one in or something like last year, I was hunting not in one of like the best spots, but a spot I could see a lot a long ways and be called to something and that ended up working out. But um, but it's definitely not one of those big properties where even like my Michigan property, most of the core stuff is like on neighbors. I'm kind of my my Michigan my main Michigan property that we talk about so much. There's, it's mostly field again. I've got a little area of cover in the front that I hunt where I made that food plot system. And in the back corner, I've got a chunk of cover. Everything else is like field edge. And I'm just kind of hoping to catch deer coming off the neighbors because just the limits of my property that I have there um, kind of force me to that. Yeah. And, and you've been on my farm before and you know how that big block of timber right oh, man i mean it's just big country f- fingers ev- yeah fingers everywhere going up you know this valley and i don't know it's, it's just it's like an like, awesome i gotta find the 
yeah, it's an awesome puzzle. <laughs> right. It's awesome, but at the same time very challenging because there's so many different moving pieces and areas. And yeah. I can see that being a big challenge. Just like, do you, and I imagine you're probably doing this, but I'm, I bet when you first start hunting, you were kind of going willy-nilly all over the place because you had so much space to work with. You're like, I'll hunt over here, I'll hunt over here, I'll hunt over here. Yep. But now, based on the things I'm hearing from you, I feel like you're fine-tuning, like, okay, there's this big area, there's tons of places, but now I know there's these five or six core places that if I hunt them smartly, access them smartly, you know, like, I think you over time you're able to drill down a property, a large area like that probably, but there's, there's yeah. still more fine-tuning, right? Right, right. You know, and there... <laughs> I'll be honest with you. There's a chance that and they do it every year. Um, I kill a buck out of the same exact tree stand that I shot this year's buck in. It's yeah. just because it is the greatest staging area of all time. And, uh, um, they make their way through it and they check a couple scrapes before they go out to feed. And I'm just excited to hunt that one as well. So yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm over, I'm overall excited. The velvet pictures are coming in and my blood's starting to boil. My wife sees that. And then she's just like, Oh, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I know what you're saying there. All right. So we should probably wrap this up cause you gotta get going soon, I think. But, um, if you, I don't know if we can either, if you've got something off the top of your head, let's roll with it. Or maybe we think about it till next week. But I think, in the past, we've we've given each other like challenges for the year, and we've yeah. said, okay, we, you, I want you to try to do one thing this year, and, and you tell me something you want me to try to do this year. Do you have any challenge? Do you want to try to take a stab at making a challenge right now, or do you think we should think about this? I think we should think about it. Okay. Well, then let's. Do you have something? I had a couple ideas, but it, you're probably right. It's probably better to like take a little time, think about the challenge, and then we should we should put some stakes on it too. So let's let's think of a challenge for each other. Let's think of some kind of stakes to put on it, and then we'll have a little something to go for this year. Hey, I like that idea. Another bet. Yes, a friendly, a friendly, fun bet. I'm going to lose my bet with Absolutely. Corey, so I want a chance to try to win one with you at least. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sounds dude. good, man. Well, anything else we should cover before we go? I don't think so. Just, you know, as the season starts, uh, as the season starts coming up and you guys start getting into – content mode be sure you go back to past episodes of the you know all the wired to hunt guests that we've had i mean we've I, how many podcasts have we put out now 163 i think or four okay. somewhere around there a lot so in in that 163 there's a ton of great information that you guys can listen to to you know put yourself in a better position on whatever property that you're hunting so take the time to go do that yeah, the archives, like for, especially for people that found the podcast more recently, maybe started listening yeah. this year. Like, there's years worth of episodes that the content, the stuff we talk about with these guests, it's still applicable today by far. So, definitely Absolutely. go back. There's there's the podcast link on the website, or you can go on iTunes or your podcast app or whatever. Scroll back. There's some. What? Okay, really quick. What's one of your fa favorite past guests we've had on? If you could recommend an episode right now from maybe the the first year or two that you can think of. Um, any that you'd recommend off the top of your head? Oh man, put me on the spot. Let's see here. <laughs> well, you know, obviously it's always interesting to hear the thoughts of uh, Mark Drury, right? Yeah. Um, Episode number sixty-three. But, yep, yep. So you know, you got that. But um, I also really enjoy 
the um, the one we did with uh, Bronson Strickland, right? Yeah. And just like I'm a I'm a kind of a nerd, so the science, like knowing the science and bi- biology uh, about a whitetail is, in my opinion, just as important as knowing the terrain and the um, you know the strategy and, and where they live. Yeah. Speaking of science, we did one with Matt Ross in November of like 2015. It was about the science yep. of the rut. That was a really good one. Yep. Um, yep. Oh, what else? Our two early episodes of Dan Infault, our classics, are really good ones from like the first year. Yep. Um, oh, what's another good one? I li- I really liked our two Steve Bartilla episodes. Our first one with Bartilla in 2014 is an oldie but a goodie. Um Jeff Sturgis, we had an episode with Jeff Sturgis two years ago in the fall where we talked yep. about like cold fronts and pre-rut and stuff like that. That's full of gold. Um, hey, you know who you know who we need to have on again? Who's Just that? because I I think the guy's cool is uh, Hunter Gatherer Cook guy. Oh uh, yeah, uh, Hank Shaw. Hank Shaw, yeah. Yes, I could be I could bullshit with that guy for a little bit. Yeah, he he threw in Star Wars references. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever get his Buck Buck Moose book? I did not. You should get it. Buck Buck Moose. Okay. It's a cookbook. It's it's really good. Um, it's all all venison, all types of stuff for deer, moose, elk, whatever. And his jerky recipe in there is the very best jerky I've ever had. So that's the one I use now for all my jerky and highly, highly recommend it. So there you go. Awesome. There's our recommendations. Well, my buddy, good chatting with you. Glad we could catch up. And um, we'll chat next week. Until next time. And with that, we will wrap this one up. But I've got a couple quick closing reminders for you. First, like we just mentioned, if you're new to the podcast, definitely go back through the archives. We have so many great episodes with expert guests that I think you'll find beneficial. And we've been doing this for, geez, three and a half, coming up on four years now. So there's a ton of content out there for you to dig into. And you can you can find that on your podcast app, or you can go to wiredtohunt.com and click on the podcast link, and you'll see all of them right there. So secondly, speaking of, if you're not following our blogs and videos and other articles over on wiredtohunt.com, I'd highly recommend you do that too. You know, almost every day we've got new ta- new content going up there, so check that out. And the same goes for the Wired Hunt social media. So follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, moving on, of course, we want to give a big thanks to our partners at Sitka Gear, Yeti Coolers, Matthews Archery, Maven Optics, Whitetail Institute of North America, Trophy Ridge, and Huntera Maps. Their support, it's incredible, and we couldn't do this podcast without them. So big thanks. And finally, of course, Thank you to all of you out there listening. Your time and your attention and your support, it just means the world. So thank you. And until next time, I hope you'll spend a little time thinking through your own goals and hopes for this season. And I hope you'll stay wired to hunt.